Hello and welcome to National League Town. Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Hello, Jeff. On today's show, Dom goes deep. It's all about that Bassett, and we know him from Adam. But first, we did it, Greg. We ended the lockout. You can thank the National League Town podcast because baseball is back. Our last episode was our first with contemporaneous news as we discussed our dismay over the lockout, how much we miss spring training, and what we miss about spring training. Well, 12 hours after that podcast dropped, the lockout was over. So it's obvious that the owners and the players heard our podcast and decided to unite. So baseball fans, you're welcome. You don't mess around with National League Town, Rob Manfred. We were the last straw. And now you are welcome, America. You've got your game back. How did you feel, Greg, when you heard the news last week? I was more relieved than anything. Yeah, relief is a good way to put it. The way the winter went, I kind of believe we were not going to have baseball, if not ever again. I didn't feel it was coming anytime soon. And the way that the news was working, oh, they're so close, they're so close, oh, something else came up. Uh, I wasn't really ready for it to come back, but hey, when it came back, it's ready to embrace it. You know, in 1990, the last time there was a lockout, I seem to recall spring training just sort of appearing almost out of nowhere, or at least something you had to catch up with because it was condensed. But the season got here a few days late and everything was fine. And although we live in a different world now, baseball wise and otherwise, it feels good to be back in that routine, the one that we talked about missing. Were you able to get back in the routine right away? Because it seems like a lot's going on. Yeah, I spent the first day not feeling that it was necessarily real or legitimate for some reason. Like everything kind of looked a little out of order. And as much as I've known and embraced the fact that Max Scherzer is on the Mets, and I've known that since December, I saw him standing there in uh, St. Lucie and in a Mets cap and taking his first throws. And I'm thinking, what the hell is that guy doing here? But, you know, he kind of settled in. I think once they began to make uh, moves and, other players started showing up and it began to feel genuine. So by the end of the weekend, I think when it was last Thursday, you know, after our episode dropped, that they announced they'd be coming back. It took me until about Sunday to kind of feel, oh, yeah, this is how spring training works. Seeing Scherzer pitch on Wednesday in the intra-squad game was thrilling, even though he did give up two home runs to Dom Smith, which upset Max Scherzer. He still looked great, and he still looked natural in the blue and orange to me. Well, you know, he's being paid plenty to look natural in the blue and orange, and as far as him being upset about giving up home runs in intra-squad game, he wouldn't be Max Scherzer if he didn't have those emotions. We will let Max be Max, and we will try to benefit from there. But how do you feel about the Mets right now? I know last week you said that you didn't care that Fangraphs projected them for 88 wins. Well, let's see how you feel that Baseball Prospectus projects them to have 92 wins, which is the exact same number as Atlanta. 
How do you feel about that? Well, that's much different. That's much better. Look, everybody, <laughs> everybody's entitled to make their projections and their predictions and read into it what they wish to do. It's not something that does anything for me because every night of the season entering that game, they're 0-0 on the day. I've come into seasons with high expectations, low expectations, middling expectations, and none of it amounts to the proverbial rich hill of beans. But let, let them get to opening day. Let's see what they look like. And I'm willing to be surprised. I'm not one of these fans of, say, prestige television shows who needs to know what's going to happen. I let the showrunner have sway over how the story turns out. In this case, the showrunner... You know, I guess you could say it's Buck Showalter or Billy Epler, but really, you know, it's it's the Mets who are going to show themselves. So I'm glad I'm glad that whoever is making predictions is predicting good things for the Mets. I'm not so superstitious that I can't handle that. It's better than coming into one 1978 type season after another. That doesn't mean anything. So I'm, I'm excited to know that they're out there that they're down in St. Lucie, that they're loosening up, that they're throwing and hitting and hopefully spouting the cliches we talked about missing and hopefully staying in one piece, by the way, uh, on and off the field. But the fact that somebody says they're going to win 92 games and somebody else says they're going to win 88 games doesn't really uh, light my fire. Well, I'm optimistic, or at least as optimistic as a Met fan can be. I still hold Atlanta in high regard, even though they won't have Freddie Freeman. Matt Olson's a terrific replacement. And the Mets made some moves this week, acquiring Chris Bassett from Oakland. I thought that they gave up a lot to get him. If you told me that they were going to give up their number five prospect and a relief pitcher who had a chance of making the team, I would have thought they would have obtained Frankie Montas from Oakland, who's a better pitcher than Bassett. But they got Bassett. No, no complaints about that. But I think that they gave up a lot. If I've heard of prospects the Mets are giving up, it means they're pretty good prospects. Because I really don't follow, and I knew who those guys were Bassett, who made the All Star team last year. I'm not that familiar with. I'll be honest. When they start playing the American League every team every year, which is on deck, I'll probably have a little more insight into the next guy the Mets get from Oakland starting in 2023. But Reports are positive. The guy seems very happy to be here. He tweeted something about being glad as hell and paraphrasing. If Chris Bassett is A, happy and B, healthy, which we've seen too many veteran pitchers here who aren't healthy and may not be ready to go the first week of the season, then welcome to New York, Chris Bassett. Listen, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Glad he's here. And the other guys, the guys who they traded, they weren't going to be starting in the three positions in this rotation right away. And I think this is, we can say, a compete now to win now type of team. Not every team does that, sadly. We, we Hey, Oakland is not interested in doing that. Cincinnati is not interested in doing that. We get to root for a team that, for a change, is making its business plan one of, we got to win. We got to have the pitching staff and the lineup to get this done. Not while we're building for the future, hopefully not destroying the future along the way. But, you know, this is where the mindset of the Mets is. And Chris Bassett seems to fit into that. I was abused by Bassett's tweet after he typed in hashtag LFGM 
And then later he said he didn't realize what the F in LFGM meant. In the 90s, it stood for Franco, for John Franco and, of course, Matt Franco. And it's changed over time. It's LGM, LFGM. The important thing is the M there. And uh, CB, Chris Bassett, is going to help the M's, hopefully. Not not the Seattle Mariners. I'm, I'm getting completely confused by my initials. And they obtained Adam Adovino, made a little stir by apparently insulting the Yankees by saying it's good that there's a good team in New York. And then he backtracked off it. I don't think he meant anything. I think he, he spoke artfully. It's got to be tough to have played for so many teams as most of these guys do and keep track of who they're insulting and who they're praising and what they're supposed to say. Hey, if he's competitive and he wants to take it out on the Yankees in however many Subway Series games there are this year, he's more than welcome. Maybe don't put up the bulletin board material if, if that's a uh, motivational tactic. But, you know, Adovino, I remember with the Rockies being an effective reliever. And I guess he's had his ups and downs, which you can say about every relief pitcher since the dawn of time. But, uh, you know, the Mets needed to fill in some gaps in the bullpen. Uh, you know, again, another veteran arm, another veteran on this team. This team could go, uh, if they're looking for a slogan, with seems like old times and not because... You know, we're going to win a lot of games like in 69 or 86, but because there are a lot of players over 30 who they've brought in and are featuring. And you got to hope that that works out. But these guys are, are all, A, a lot younger than I am, and B, in the best shape of their lives, and C, pretty skilled. So I'm going to have faith in Adam Adovino as well as Chris Bassett and everybody else. He'll be wearing zero, which will be the second straight Met to wear zero. Nobody wore it as well as Ray Ordonez because he won a gold glove. Uh, Marcus Stroman wore it last year, as you said, and uh, he wanted to stand out a little, and he did. And Mr. Adovino seems to be very happy with a number that is a lot like uh, the letter at the beginning and end of his last name. More power to him. And I, I hope he puts up. What? What do I hope he puts up? Lots of zeros. <laughs> well, well said. We also saw the scary video of Pete Alonso's car accident. Amazingly, he's in great shape. That was frightening. Oh, my God. Looking at that vehicle on its side, I'm glad he got out. Was his wife in the car with him? No, she was she was trailing in the second car. Okay, well, you know, in that case, if there's nobody else in the car, I'll just say I'm thrilled that Pete got out of there. I'd be thrilled anybody got out of a car accident that according to his re- recounting of it, was nothing to do with his driving. He was stopped at a red light, I believe. Or no, he was going through a green light. Somebody who should have been in a red light just kept going. That's terrible. People drive like maniacs in this country. and <laughs> You wouldn't think that would have to come up here. I hope, again, that he's sound, that it doesn't haunt him in any way. And what, what can you say beyond that? I was amazed to see him taking grounders and taking swings in the cage. The day after this happens, and then two days after this happens, because I know, sadly, from personal experience, it's a shock to your body, and you don't always feel it until the next day or the day after that. But Pete's cut from a different cloth. Yeah, he's a pr- professional athlete, and you know, I imagine he internalizes it, compartmentalizes it, whatever he does, and again, as, as the human being. Inside that med uniform, just hope everything's great and that maniacs uh, stay off the road around Port St. Lucie and everywhere, obviously. Exactly. And one Met who has 
taking the exit ramp is familiar. JRE is familiar. We have a lot of memories of him, a lot of negative ones of late, as far as I'm concerned, but he's a, he accomplished a lot as a Mets. Jerry's familiar is the man of a thousand pronunciations because I feel like I've, I've heard his name pronounced a dozen different ways, a dozen or a thousand. Now, Familia has had a long Mets career. He came up in 2012 and has been a Met except for a couple of months where they sort of lent him out to Oakland back when Oakland used to care about making the postseason. He's been a Met the whole time. And I would posit that you would have a hard time finding at his peak a better, more significant right-handed relief pitcher, certainly as a closer, than Jerry's Familia. Yeah, the Familia of recent years has been a mixed bag, to put it kindly, but at his peak, 2014 as the setup man for Henry Mejia, 2015 and 16 as the closer, once Mejia tested positive for steroids about three different times. Familia was money. He closed games. He set records for saves. He broke fan favorite Armando Benitez's season record for saves. He had as many as 51, I believe, uh, in 2016. He made an all-star team. Uh, Terry Collins somehow managed not to pitch him or use any of his own players in an all-star game when he was managing it, but I'll get over that someday. And uh, Familia, we have footage, we have video evidence of four separate times the Mets clinched something because Jerry's Familia threw the final pitch of the game clinching a division title, an LDS, and then the pennant in 2015, and clinching the wildcard spot in 2016. So he had a lot to do with the oasis of success the Mets had in 2015 and 2016. You know, it almost goes to show you that if, if you're a relief pitcher and you, you, you survive long enough, you will become a relief pitcher without honor in your own time, no matter how much you did, because... None of that really cuts any ice, like you said. It has been kind of a downhill trend for Familia since he came back in 2019 from his hiatus, shall we say, his semester abroad in Oakland. But he he had his moments the last few years. He still had a very effective sinker when it was on. And when the Met bullpen, which was called on you know, in the this era, it's called on every night. You had a lot of guys pitching a lot of innings, pitching to a lot of batters anyway, in that bullpen last year, and he did his part. So, you know, we knew he was going. He was a free agent. He had sent out an Instagram message toward the end of last year thanking Mets fans, thanking Mets fans for, for being tough on him in a way. He understood. I love that. He understood what we were about. He understood what New York was about. He understood that people cared. And sadly, he's going to a place where they also care enough. They know what they're talking about in Philadelphia. But he's you know, going to hear it from them if he uh, gives up a few home runs, which, to be fair, he did hear at some inopportune moments that I will leave it to others to recall. But he was probably one of my favorite relief pitchers, which is not saying a lot because, let's be honest, we don't venerate relief pitchers around here. But I wish him well. Really? He's on the Phillies. I wish him well in that he should be healthy, he should live a long life, he should find the things he enjoys, and if any of that has to do with success on the field, well, you know, we'll, we'll have to put up with that. But, hey, we're winning 92 games regardless. There's a projection that says so, so it doesn't really matter what Familia does. There you go. Speaking of things we have to put up with, we have to put up with 12 teams in the playoffs. Last week, we thought that they were going to go to 14, and we talked about how terrible that would be. Well, 12's 
pretty bad, too. Increases the Mets' chances of making the playoffs by 12%, according to fan graphs. I know that means a lot to you, but 12 teams in the playoffs is a lot. It is a lot. It's six teams per league, and that means three wild cards. It means a wild card round, which didn't exist before. As we remember from uh, one of Jerry's familiar's lesser greatest hits, uh, he gave up a home run in a wild card game that decided the Mets' fate in the 2016 postseason, which was a limited fate. Uh, starting in 2022, we will have the lowest seeded division winner playing the lowest seeded wild card with the two wild cards between them. The higher seeds will host all as many as three games, a best two out of three. And this is the new world. And when you, you know what, though? When you're, you're on the other side of a settlement after a long winter's lockout, it doesn't seem quite as world-ending <laughs> as it did when we were talking about it, to be honest. I'm not thrilled. It's one of those things we'll get used to. One thing that we have to live with now is the DH. I resigned myself to it long ago, reluctantly, but I don't think you have. I've only done it since last Thursday because it's here. I'm not embracing it. I don't feel good about it. I never bought into the argument that, well, you know, the Mets have the roster, so it's going to help them. Well, since the settlement, the Nationals went out and got Nelson Cruz and the Phillies went out and got Kyle Schwarber. So guess what? Everybody has a DH. Everybody will get a DH. And everybody's pitching staff will have to face DHs. The only note of forgiveness I can find here is the idea that because starting pitchers less and less go five, six innings, which is sad, what are we talking about? We're talking about two at-bats per game. Otherwise, we're talking about pinch hitting for relief pitchers. Because almost no relief pitcher, unless it's an unusual long relief situation, gets an at-bat in the National League as we knew it. So they've been on the verge of phasing this out, and I've refused to come to grips with it. I swear that I hoped for years that if a league was going to change, it would be the American League saying, I want in on that more exciting style of baseball. I think people who say, oh, you like watching pitchers strike out just completely miss the point that it's been a, a faster game, no matter how much of a slow game <laughs> baseball has become. It's been a more interesting game. And yes, it does take a little bit of strategy. You mentioned uh, the guy who wore zero last year, Marcus Stroman. I remember a game in August, the Mets were in L.A., and there was a decision to be made where Louis Rojas had to decide, do I leave Stroman in here? He was pitching well. The Mets, I think, had a one-run lead, maybe a two-run lead. It was a spot where you could have definitely sent up a pinch hitter and nobody would have complained. But it was also a spot where Stroman was pitching really well. And you're going to go face the Dodgers with bullpen roulette. And he let Stroman stay in. Stroman did not get a base hit, but he pitched another inning. And the Mets went on to win that game. And I just remember thinking, man... I am going to miss this if they take this away. This is part of watching a baseball game. It's been part of watching a baseball game in the National League, say for 2020, since 1876. And when I watched in 2020, you know, the year where they made all kinds of allowances because of COVID, I said, okay, you want to win me over? We have 60 games where the Mets are, and everybody else are going to have a DH. Well, let's see. Maybe I'm the one who's been missing something this whole time. And I just felt lost by it. I mean, I know when the, the number nine <laughs> slot comes around in the batting order, 
I know who's batting. I know what's at stake. I just forgot what the batting order was. You know, oh, gosh, I don't even remember. Brian Dozier is up, let's say. 2020 Mets. Oh, when did Brian Dozier go? Oh, that's right. He's the nine-hole hitter. It's just unnatural. And and I know that this is just, I don't want to say it's outmoded thinking, but it's obviously something you'll get used to. I don't want to get used to it, but it's here. Uh, I want the other eight positions. I want baseball. Well, I put up with this ninth position in the batting order and the extraction of a game, a, an element of the game that I really like. Well, I guess I'm going to because I haven't washed my hands of the whole thing. We're going to have to get used to listening to the explanation of when you lose the DH and then we'll have the strategy of should a fast guy bat nine. So you really have two leadoff hitters. I liked it the old way. They didn't ask our opinion. Another thing we're going to have to get used to in 2023 is banning shifts. I'm not a fan of that. I think that's artificial. I understand what what Lindor said. said, just put me in my spot and let me make a great play. I think banning shifts is forced, and I don't like that. How do you feel about that? Is that a certainty that they're going to ban it, or they're just under consideration and it's kind of fait accompli? I thought it was, but I also thought we were done with the ghost runner in in extra innings, and as of this recording, they're still considering that for this season. As far as I understand, the the shift hasn't been banned yet. I wish it would go away, (laughs) to be honest with you. But then you're you're taking away. I, I can't come back after telling you I love strategy and not tell you that, well, that's strategy too. That's defensive strategy. And when it would be done once in a great while, when, when Gil Hodges used a different kind of outfield to cut down William McCovey's power, we all rhapsodize over it. When we read about 1969, when we talk about Ted Williams and the the shift, you know, that that's wow. That that's really using your head baseball, but now, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, banning zone defenses in basketball or something. They do that. There's a reason for that. And here you're kind of putting zone defenses or something like it into baseball. And it's, I, I, I found it bizarre to watch these last few years. I find seeing line drives become routine outs dispiriting. And I understand why it's done. We want teams to use yeah, we talk about analytics. We want the analytics to be used for, for good and not evil. And when it helps cut down a rally for our team, it's great. When it kind of snuffs a rally for our team, it's not so great. I could go either way at this point because I really do think it, it sort of snuffed out a little bit of the excitement of baseball. And if you wanted to say, well, first and second baseman play to the right of second base, and we're looking at the left of second base and the shortstop and the third baseman are there. That seems fair. Like Lindor said, let me make a great play. But it kind of takes away a little something from, from the strategy of the game. It should be good for Jeff McNeil if it does come to pass because the stats show that he was hurt by shifts more than just about any player in baseball last year. If I may quote from the musical Lil Abner, which I was in in 10th grade, What's good for Jeff McNeil is good for the USA. Quoting Broadway musicals is a staple of the NLT, so feel free. Something else that's going to happen next year is the new way the schedule is going to be organized. I remember when the Mets would play the East 18 times and the West 12 times, and that was it. 
And starting next year, they're going to play fewer games within the division, but you're going to get to see every team in the other league every season, not just every three years, which they told us was a big deal when they started interleague play, but now every year. Mets will play the Yankees four times, two at home, two away next season, and then they'll have three games either home or away with every team in the other league, as if you can't see them on MLB TV or one of the numerous baseball partners. I'm not crazy about this, even though it means the Mets will play. I live in Maryland. Uh, the Mets will play in Baltimore every other season. Yeah, this is the death knell for, I was going to say, this is the death knell for decency, Jeff. No, it's the, it's the <laughs> death knell for league designations as anything more than nominal and branding. And once you brought the DH into the picture, that made this kind of a logical next step almost. I'm glad that they're still going to play more games against their division than they are against anybody else. What is it, 14 and then six in in the Central and West in the National League and three each. And then, yeah, the one uh, rivalry series. I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled. We should rename our podcast. I'm not thrilled. But I'm not thrilled uh, that they're doing this. I hate it. As much as I hate certain other things, I'm a fan of the Brooklyn Nets. I might have mentioned to you once before. And the Nets, every year, they go out west, despite being the Eastern Conference. And they play the Portland Trailblazers. And they play the San Antonio Spurs and so on and so forth. And this happens in the NHL, too, where uh, geographic rivalries don't restrict you from playing the other conference. So it's a little different here because we're not talking about just geography, but a couple of swings through the West and you're playing the, you know, the Mariners and the Angels and the A's along with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants. I think they're doing it for the right reason, which is to promote the game a little more. Like, like you said, yes, you can see these teams on MLB.tv if you're a subscriber and you kind of just pay attention You'll see other teams, but there is something different about seeing your team take on all comers. And I think I would know who Chris Bassett was a little more <laughs> if had to play the A's every year. I'm not, I'm not looking for it like you, the 1812, I don't mean in 1812, but the 18 National League East games and the 12 National League West games were a you know, wonderful way of doing things. And we had rivalries with teams we no longer have rivalries with. And I didn't have to think about teams in the American League any more than if I got uh, a baseball card with a Kansas City Royal on it or something. But, you know, this this is where they've headed. I, I'm not going to say I fear it. I believe that within a few years when, oh, yeah, the, we, we got the twin series this weekend. It's not going to sound bizarre anymore the way it does every three years. It's just going to be, oh, yeah, we're playing the twins. Whatever. The thing, things like this have been becoming reality for too long, and now it's here. So have at it. And we're going to see ads on the uniforms, which kind of makes me uh, nauseous. Yeah, yeah, that, that I, I can't rationalize that other than, oh, good, another revenue stream. Well, I, I somehow doubt that's going to mean, oh, because we're we're getting uh, we're, we're getting money from Delta Airlines. I have no idea who the Mets sponsor on the uniforms is going to be. Uh, we're going to cut the ticket prices for you. I don't think it works that way. It's garish. It's ugly. It's ugly when other leagues do it. 
And I'm sorry that baseball continues to have such little faith in its product that they, they pull stunts like this. But the important thing is that Mets baseball is back. Saturday, there'll be a game. Sunday, there's a game on TV. And I can't wait. We've been waiting only since the beginning of October for another Mets game. And when the 2021 season ended, we didn't have Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, or a bunch of these other people. We had a different manager. We didn't have a general manager to speak of. Uh, It it does feel like the world has turned uh, a lot (laughs) since the last uh, Mets season ended. So to get a taste of it on radio and TV this weekend, even though they're games that don't count, we haven't had a chance to talk about how the games don't count in February and the first part of March because there haven't been any games that don't count. Well, these games don't count either, but they count to our senses and our sensibilities. And it'll be nice to look at the Mets as something more than a concept, to see them on the verge of an actuality. So yeah, be tuning in. Well, that'll do it for this episode. And I want to quote Max Scherzer. He said, now I want fans. I want people telling me I suck. Can't wait. Well, we want to know what you think about the NLT. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And you can write to us on Gmail, nationalleaguetown at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the show. Give us any players from Mets history that you want us to talk about. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2022. Music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Bandcamp.